Welcome to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, a Scholar-in-Residence of Media Studies at the University of Colorado Boulder. And I'm Amy Lynn Herman, an event professional and community activation specialist in Northern Colorado. We're joining you on the first Thursday of every month to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business. The Co-op Power Hour is a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle, which you can learn more about at our website, coloradocoops.info. Our show this week is about employee ownership and the intersection of policy. We're going to be joined by Congressman Jared Polis, who represents Colorado's 2nd District, as well as Halisi Vinson of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. Congressman Polis has become a leader in uh, efforts to advocate for worker ownership. He has sponsored the Worker Ownership Readiness and Knowledge Act in the House of Representatives, uh, also known as the Work Act, which was also introduced in the Senate by Bernie Sanders, uh, Sherrod Brown, and Elizabeth Warren. It would provide more than $45 million in funding to states to establish and expand employee ownership centers, which provide training and technical support for programs promoting employee ownership. Congressman Polis is now also preparing to run for governor of the state. And as he uh, gets his, his uh, campaign going, he's put worker ownership at the front and center. He actually started his campaign at an employee-owned grocery store. Now, it's important to point out that Employee ownership can take a number of different forms. It can look like a worker cooperative, where the workers have uh, control as owners, but also as co-governors of the business. They have one vote each uh, in, in how the business is governed, uh, and, uh, and they're really full, fully in charge of what goes on. There are also models like ESOPs, employee stock ownership plans, uh, that uh, uh, form a trust in which employees benefit from the value created by the company, but it's not quite the same kind of one worker, one vote model that a worker co-op might have. You can also see models like stock options, where employees have the capacity uh, to buy stock in the company and thus can, can buy in and uh, 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 attach some reality to that sense of ownership that many managers try to instill in their workers. These are different forms, but they all fall under an umbrella of shared ownership uh, in which, uh, in which uh, people uh, really have an opportunity to reap the value that they help to create. Now, policy has long been a really important part of uh, uh, cultivating these kinds of models. We often don't realize the degree to which our policy actually supports, uh, for instance, investor ownership uh, in businesses through tax benefits uh, for capital returns and, and you know, many other uh, kind of unseen uh, incentives for, uh, uh, for, for different kinds of ownership models. And in the past, the development of cooperative ownership has often depended on uh, a friendly support from policy, whether that's the development of rural electric cooperatives across the United States, or for instance, in places like Northern Italy, uh, uh, the development of laws that have enabled cooperatives to really develop and flourish. And so it's really important that we raise uh, uh, questions of cooperative and shared ownership uh, to the policy level and that we explore options to make it easier uh, uh, for, for entrepreneurs and, and businesses to consider these kinds of models. In many cases, it's actually much harder uh, because of the regulatory obstacles for people to, to practice cooperation, to pra practice co uh, democratic business. And so that's why we're so excited that, um, that this conversation is starting to uh, take hold, uh, not only nationally, but also here in Colorado. The state of work in Colorado is one that is absolutely right for the possibility and promise of employee ownership and worker cooperatives. According to the Colorado Center for Law and Policy, the number of jobs in Colorado has surpassed pre-recession levels, but job growth lags population growth and is generally concentrated in low-wage jobs with fewer benefits. So Colorado needs an additional 140,000 jobs to keep pace with the state's overall growth. And the conditions that will propel the Colorado economy towards sustained and robust growth, employment for every worker who wants a job, a living wage for low-income workers, and broadly shared economic prosperity, these are all issues that are incentivized in employee ownership models because they allow for new kinds of access and participation to cultivate strong democratic economies. In a changing workforce, 
Worker ownership is a way to ensure that those who are creating value are also receiving the benefit of it. Thank you again for joining us for tonight's Co-op Power Hour on KG News, It's the Economy. A bit later, we'll hear from Halisi Vinson of uh, the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. But first, uh, let's turn to Congressman Jared Polis of Colorado's 2nd District. Congressman Jared Polis, welcome to uh, the Co-op Power Hour. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited that there is a Co-op Power Hour, Nathan. I'm glad to be on your show. (laughs) So um, can you tell us what is in the worker bill in Congress and what's it all about? Uh, Thanks, Amy. So, you know, the ability to form and successfully run uh, various employee ownership models like co-ops, ESOPs, uh, companies that have uh, outright equity grants or stock option grants. There's many different models, but the ability to implement all of those really depends on policy. Um, one of the things that I've introduced, along with Representative Pocan and Delaney in the House and Senator Sanders and Gillibrand in the Senate, is a bill that would create a program within the Department of Labor's Employee and, and Training Administration that provides funding to state-based employee ownership centers, um, like our Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, uh, potentially like the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union, uh, to provide the technical assistance and help uh, to grow and develop employee ownership models. Um, there would be reporting for that, accountability for that, and feedback for that. But one of the things that we find is that there's often not enough resources to do that. I'm also the co-sponsor of a bill to provide a new financing mechanism uh, to allow for conversions to employee ownership. So there's a number of um, arcane tax revisions that are also very relevant uh, and can be made more beneficial to employee-owned companies. And I'm, I'm working on some of those with the Promotion and Expansion of Private Employee Ownership Act and a number of other bills. But when you look at the ability of uh, workers or customers to own a company, you can't separate that from the legal framework, the tax structure, and all of those things that sort of exist in this political and policy world. Fantastic. Why did you decide to become a sponsor? Uh, I really see uh, employee ownership models as a big part of the solution to how we create an economy that works for everybody. Uh, There's no denying there's been great value that's created in the economy, and you can see uh, the stock market uh, breaking new records, low unemployment. But when you talk to many people, people feel like that progress has left them behind. Um, They're working more for less, have had stagnant wages, housing prices are up. Uh, And so the question is, how do we better create a system that allows workers to share in the economic growth that we have. Uh, And I think front and center in that uh, are the various employee ownership models to make sure that people can share in the value they create at firms. Now, all of the sponsors of this bill, as I understand it, are Democrats, right? Is there a chance that this will pass? And what's the political strategy in this particular moment, uh, in in these political alignments that we're facing right now? Uh, is this about the future of the Democratic Party, maybe? I sure hope so. Uh, and, and and frankly, um, we have bipartisan support on some of the tax bills. For instance, a bill that would incentivize owners of S-Corps to sell their stock to an ESOP and allow S-Corps to deduct interest on loans that are used to purchase uh, the securities from their employer by an ESOP. Um, employee stock ownership program. That bill is sponsored by Representative Reichert, a Republican from Washington, Representative Kind, a Democrat, and myself. Uh, so we do have some bipartisan support for the WORK Act to actually create the uh, outreach uh, ownership centers. Uh, we're still looking for a Republican, but there's nothing inherently partisan about this work. Uh, I do think it's a good answer for Democrats to how you create an economy that works for everybody uh, and how people don't feel left behind, which is one of the main things we hear from voters uh, across the country. Do you think that, that worker ownership and employee ownership models are going to be part of the uh, growing, uh, uh, kind of reshaping of the Democratic Party platform in the coming months and years leading up to the to the next election? Well, I wouldn't really be an authority on that. That's a very decentralized process. I certainly would hope so. Uh, it's something that I uh, do a lot of work on federally. I think there's a lot of work to be done at the state level on creating the policy framework, the tax framework, and the culture Uh, to allow for the growth and success of employee ownership models. And uh, it's something I would certainly recommend to the Democrats. Uh, I would recommend it to the Republicans. Um, I think it's uh, a real solution to a a real problem that that 
you know, one identifies in our economy, regardless of one's ideological uh, perspective. And what about other forms of shared ownership here? You know, for instance, Republicans like Mike Pence have close ties with credit unions and rural electric co-ops. Co um, uh, there are also uh, uh, questions about housing cooperatives as a way of dealing with uh, affordable housing. Um, could those kinds of could broadening the kinds of shared ownership we're talking about open up opportunities for that kind of bipartisan participation? Absolutely. Uh, you know, even at even at traditional uh, firms, uh, you can look at uh, employee ownership models ranging from cooperatives or fully owned ESOPs to uh, equity grants to employees, to stock option grants to employees, to formalized profit sharing. Uh, meaning uh, a certain percentage of the profits are distributed by a, a predetermined formula to employees. So there's a wide variety of those, but they can also, as you mentioned, tackle other social problems that we have. Um, for instance, uh, you know, solar power co-ops. Um, we have a uh, we allow that under state law, but there's a cap on the production levels. We could increase that cap. Um, housing co-ops. So you know, there's there's all in some sense there's. Um, Nothing new that isn't old. Um, in many ways, some of the agricultural co-ops are certainly come out of our history of agricultural production, uh, and um, that model continues to be relevant. And here in Colorado, the Rocky Mountain Farmers Union is doing an excellent job, not only supporting some of the traditional agricultural co-ops that support our small farmers, but also innovating uh, and, and looking at urban forms of co-ops, like home care co-ops. Uh, and, tran and uh, translator co-ops that are employee-owned uh, for the service sector. Um, so you have people that provide translation services to provide home care for the elderly that are now uh, are able to de determine their own destiny and share in the value that's being created rather than have profits uh, siphoned off by uh, an owner that uh, isn't carrying their load. How have you used employee ownership in your own business career, and what have you learned from that experience? So my business background is in the technology sector, and if I point to two sectors that do employee ownership well, not that they don't have room for improvement, but they certainly do it well, better than the traditional economy, I would point to craft brewing and tech. Uh, craft brewing has a strong prevalence of um, ESOPs, fully owned, employee owned companies. If you look at a company like New Belgium, it's 100% employee owned. And a number of the leading craft breweries uh, are employee owned entirely or partially. In tech, uh, in the companies I started, we had universal stock options, meaning often a significant percentage of the company could be 10%, could be 20% of the company for an early stage company, is reserved for the employees. Uh, and that means every employee participates. It's not just management stock options for executives. Of course, they get significant stock options, but it's also the person who answers the phone at the front desk. Uh, it's the um, administrative support people. Uh, every employee of the company uh, gets stock options, and when their a company goes public or, or sells, they share in the value that's being created. The big guys do that, and startups do that. So you look at big guys like Google, Intel, universal stock options. Um, one could argue perhaps there's less upside for a company that's already mature, but still as those companies grow, uh, the employees will share in that value along with the investors and shareholders. But certainly in, in the startup world, um, many employees that go work for an early stage company are taking an additional risk that that company may be out of business in three years or five years, and many are. So they should also be able to uh, have a reward for that. And if that company takes off, and if to, to this garage startup with 10 people and that they join is a thousand or 5,000 person company tomorrow and goes public, uh, they should also share in that value that's created. And I was very excited at a company like Pro Flowers, which I started in 1998 and went public in 2003. Uh, some of the very first uh, employees, um, including the first administrative support employee, uh, became millionaires um, through the value that we created in that firm. Now, it, that the tech industry poses an interesting challenge to this, right, to this framing of employee ownership. Because uh, in many cases, if you compare companies of comparable size and value uh, a generation or two ago, they had far, far more employees. They were employing a much larger chunk of the population. Whereas many tech companies, including ones that you mentioned, compared to their valuation, have much smaller employee base and are deriving value from a wider user base. Uh, and that ranges from people sharing uh, uh, cat pictures on Facebook to, uh, to Uber drivers, right? Is 
do we need to rethink employee ownership models in order to encompass that changing dynamic of value creation in the tech economy? Well, uh, you know, that would be that would be terrific. Um, certainly uh, companies that rely on content um, and, and you mentioned, you know, these platform companies don't pay for that content. People put it up there voluntarily, but, you know, they put it up there voluntarily through a you know, a contract that they receive some value in, in sharing that information. And uh, there are many sort of high-powered users on these different platforms like uh, YouTube or Instagram that do just fine economically. They are able to sell endorsements and uh, able to sell ads and those sorts of things. Uh, in many ways, they're in business for themselves using the platform. Um, but yeah, certainly there's the opportunity for uh, customer ownership um, and, and uh, sort of uh, usership-based ownership of these firms, um, but you know the other side is they're not they're not um, easy to implement business models necessarily. So um, often they need that kind of um, at least historically they've needed that kind of uh, rigid you know venture-backed approach with a hard-driving executive to get their product to market. Um, they don't just sort of spontaneously arise. Um, they they require a lot of technical work. Now, another issue that you've taken up in Congress is blockchain, the technology behind Bitcoin. And that's something that we've talked about on this show uh, as well. Could you say a little bit about the potential that you see in blockchain technologies and why you've taken that up, not only as an entrepreneur, but as a as a, a, a policymaker? Well, without the benefit of having listened to your show yet, and I certainly plan on uh, downloading it, uh, Nathan and Amy, and, and, and listening, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the opportunity for blockchain in a number of sectors, but certainly one of the opportunities for distributed ledgers is, is ownership. Um, there no longer needs to be, and to a certain extent there already isn't, as you know, kind of a centralized shareholder database, but effectively through your, your distributed, um, through distributed ledger, and your online identity, uh, it can have um, the the ownership and the verification for a variety of firms. What the significance of that is, is it reduces the transaction cost to close to zero. So it would have been very cumbersome 10 years ago, and, and even today, to own a teeny fraction of a teeny share of a company. Um, if that was worth three cents, there's really no way, there was no way to, to do that economically. I mean, just the transaction costs associated with confirming that ownership were greater than the value of the share. So what the opportunity with distributed ledger technology is, and the blockchain, is you can confirm micro ownership uh, transactions and ownership stakes of companies that are uh, practically worthless, uh, three cents, five, can be effectively transferred and traded. Uh, and that might plug into this model you're talking about, about those who you know contribute content, receive ownership, users receive ownership. That would have been very difficult to and overly cumbersome to administer due to transaction costs without something like the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And what kind of receptivity are you seeing among your colleagues in Congress, both for these kinds of up-and-coming blockchain technologies and for for reigniting uh, these older employee ownership models? So we have a blockchain caucus that's bipartisan, uh, and we uh, use that as a forum to educate colleagues in Congress. We've had several uh, forums, and I think, frankly, we you know it'd be very interesting to have one about the ramifications for employee ownership to kind of bring those those two together. Um, so there has been significant interest uh, in that, and uh, uh, its ramifications in tax sector, financial services, and fintech, and a number of other areas. Um, and there's also interest in employee ownership, and again, it means something to representatives that come from those kind of legacy agricultural areas where co-op models meant something uh, to people who see the resurgence in cities of service-based companies that have employee ownership models. So have you said in previous interviews that education is the single most meaningful investment America can make in its economic future and its people? How will you use the power and influence of the governor's office to help employees learn how to think like owners? Well, you know, I think the entrepreneurship uh, is universal. One of the great benefits of employee ownership in productivity is several fold. It, it aligns the incentives of workers with management. Uh, and if you look at the performance of companies that have implemented employee ownership over time, they perform better uh, and, and have higher growth rates than companies that don't incorporate employee ownership. Uh, in addition to aligning incentives, it helps with attract and retain people. And 
it helps the wor- workers think as owners because in fact they are owners so um, it's it can be transformative in uh, bringing new ideas to a firm by um, having every employee realize that uh, they have the same incentives and they do well when the firm prospers just as the investors and the executives do. You've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. You can catch us on the fourth Thursday of every month. I'm Amy Lynn Herman, joined by Nathan Schneider. We'd like to thank our guest this afternoon, Congressman Jared Polis. You can find out more details about our production and our uh, work with the Co-op uh, Circle at coloradocoops.info slash events. Thank you. Okay, so that's the first segment. Uh, okay. So okay. we'll do a second segment more focused on um, on the uh, uh, gubernatorial Sure. Race. Does that okay. sound good? Yep. Okay, great. Perfect. Um, has there been any any interest from the um, from the co-op caucus at all? The congressional cooperative? Interest in what? In the employee ownership stuff. I know that's oh, yeah. more, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of the, that's, there's a number of different efforts, you know, federally, and then I think we yeah. can talk about what the state can do, because yeah. the state can absolutely uh, do things, too. That's, I think, where yeah. we're going to turn next. Yeah. Sound good? Yeah. Okay, so I'll do the entrance and Perfect. get going with that. Okay. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour, a regular feature on KGNU's It's the Economy and a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. I'm Nathan Schneider with uh, my co-host Amy Lynn Herman. We're with you uh, every fourth Thursday of the month. Today we're talking with Congressman Jared Polis about employee ownership both on the national level and here in Colorado. Now, Congressman Polis, you opened up your gubernatorial campaign at Save-A-Lot, an employee-owned grocery store in Colorado Springs. What role would worker ownership play in a Polis administration in Colorado? I think it's a big part of the answer of how we make a Colorado that works for everybody, Uh, not just investors, not just executives, uh, but for everybody and for workers. And Save-A-Lot is a 100% employee-owned grocery store through an ESOP uh, owned by the cashier, by the butcher, by the bagger, uh, and value that's created in that firm is uh, shared by by the employees. And so symbolically, we wanted to do that. They have about a dozen stores across the state, but it shows that in a variety of sectors, right, not just tech and craft brewing, but sectors like retail, sectors like solar, we have a solar company in Boulder, in, in wildly divergent sectors, this model can and does work, uh, and really a part of the solutions that I want to offer as, as governor would be to create state policies that facilitate and develop all forms of employee ownership models in our state and make Colorado a leader in employee ownership uh, over the first uh, few years. Now, as you consider these kinds of policies, are there models that you're looking to in other states or other parts of the world? What What kinds of uh, blueprints are you looking at? So, um, you know, a couple different policy ideas in that area. Uh, one is to create a meaningful employee ownership center, um, like the state of Vermont has, currently one of the leaders in employee ownership, that provides the technical work and assistance to companies that want to convert or implement employee ownership models. I talked to a entrepreneur just a couple weeks ago, a mid-sized company, 30, 40 employees, Uh, And he said he absolutely wanted to pursue employee ownership, but was deterred by the cost. He said when he talked to the lawyers and accountants, uh, it would add into the $100,000 just to be able to do that conversion, which for a small to medium-sized company just wasn't feasible. Uh, if there, we had, uh, perhaps in association with one of our business schools or law schools in our state, a center that could provide that free technical assistance at a very modest cost to the state, uh, it would allow companies like that to successfully implement employee ownership models. So remove those costs. Uh, remove additional red tape and regulatory barriers um, through our corporate law in our state. And I also think we should uh, do what we can to encourage patronage of employee-owned companies, truly part of the solution to uh, addressing income disparity, wealth disparity in our state. And a couple ideas along those lines are to have a preference in state contracting for employee-owned companies, uh, as we do in contracting for 
uh, minority and women-owned companies in other areas to say, why don't we take a look at trying to facilitate employee ownership in state contracting? A state is a big buyer of lots of goods and services. Uh, and also to have a state branding campaign, as we do in agriculture around you know uh, Colorado employee-owned companies, to build some pride with that, use kind of the soapbox of the governor's position, uh, a branding effort, uh, allowing you know people to display a certain icon in their window that would be designed and appear on a list of kind of preferred companies, th- those kinds of things, just to help on the margins with customer awareness uh, about employee ownership. Now, you mentioned a couple of industries, tech and, and brewing. Uh, are there other industries that you think are particularly well suited to this sort of model, or do you think that this is a you know, a broader opportunity. I'd like to see it more across the traditional economy, right? So it can, I, you can, you see it work in every sector. I mean, who would think it would work in grocery stores like Save a Lot in Colorado Springs, where I kicked off my my gubernatorial campaign? Uh, it works in really every sector, and um, we want to see it across the traditional economy. So we don't want to see, even if it's something like stock options, we don't want to see that just in tech firms. We want to see that across manufacturing firms, across all the traditional firms. Um, and there's, there are different models for a company that uh, might not be as growth-oriented, that might have more stable profitability over time. It might make more sense to use either formalized profit sharing or an ESOP model. So there's different models for different firms, but I would go so far as to say uh, there is an employee ownership model that can work for really any firm in any industry. Tell us about how you make decisions and decide on policy in general. What kinds of data comes across your desk and um how do you rely on it? How do you evaluate it? Well, access to data and is very important in analytical decision making, both as a member of Congress and, and hopefully uh, as the next governor. So uh, it's really important. And, and, and the data that's driving the urgency of uh, expanding employee ownership is the increasing income disparity that this country has had over the last few decades. Um, the productivity has increased, but the benefits of those productivity increases have gone to a few. Uh, rather than to everybody. Um, Essentially, they've resided with owners, investors, and upper management. Uh, And that is a problem in the economy because it creates a destabilizing force. Uh, It hurts our long-term economic growth. Uh, And, you know, frankly, those kinds of legitimate concerns that people have are in part what led to the election of somebody like Donald Trump, who had in many ways the wrong answers to the right questions uh, on these issues by demonizing uh, foreigners and demonizing elites and other things that he he did. Um, So it doesn't mean there's not a real problem there. There is. It's a real problem that needs real answers. And we need to create an economy where workers do well, not just management and investors. No, I'd like to hear from your experience about messaging around these kinds of issues. You know, one thing I, I remember seeing was when Bernie Sanders first announced his campaign for president, his website had in the list of issues uh, employee ownership and cooperative development as one of those issues. It was the last one, but it was there. Uh, and later in the presidential campaign, it kind of got buried, right? It seemed like it wasn't, it, it, it didn't seem like a, 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 a strong selling point or maybe something that, that, um, uh, the campaign felt people didn't really have enough awareness about. Uh, have you learned any lessons in talking about this with voters? It's a hard one to describe, Nathan. There's no question. I, I think once you, you know, the problem in campaigns is you have these kind of 30-second vignettes to educate people. You have a few moments here and there. It's hard to talk about what employee ownership is and what it means. But we're, you know, it's not going to be one of those things that's poll-driven in the sense, oh my gosh, people are crying out for this. Uh, what people are crying out for is a solution. And and again, I think they understand we've had, hey, I'm working harder. I'm not doing any better. Housing costs more. My raises haven't kept up with cost of living. I hear about the stock market. I hear about record low unemployment. What the heck's going on? This isn't working for me. So to the extent that I connect that, hey, this is really a meaningful answer to that is how we try to make it relevant to people in their lives. And it's one of the, you know, uh, three or four things that are the featured as as why I'm running for governor and what I want to do. And uh, we're going to stick with that. We'll try to educate people through little videos that we create about why this issue is important. Uh, as I said, both sim- symbolically, I kicked off my campaign in Colorado Springs at an employee-owned grocery store. I took that occasion 
to educate people about what this was uh, as an employee-owned grocery store. Even community members that that attended were excited to learn about what was going on in their own community. So, uh, you know, any campaign is an opportunity to educate people. And um, if we succeed, it'll mean that we connect that issue to the real angst and concern that people have. And that's what we hope to do over the course of the campaign. Now, have you encountered critical pushback around this kind of thing? You know, yeah. People saying that that's not a practical way of building businesses or doing economic growth? I'd say so far, really, a couple forms of pushback. One is a misunderstanding from some on the right that think, oh, are you forcing companies to do this? Are you forcing companies to uh, distribute ownership? And, and no, none of the policies, as you know, could possibly be around forcing it. Uh, we want to make it easier. We want to reduce red tape. We want more companies to make this decision. My vision would be for Colorado to lead the way in employee ownership. I think it can grow as a percentage of the economy. I don't think it'll ever be universal. Uh, and of course, it's discretionary. We have to convince uh, companies that it's in their own interest to maximize their value over time to have a form of employee ownership. And I think it's an easy sell because I think the data bears it out and it's true. Uh, so that's one area of pushback. Um, the second is, I don't know what you're talking about kind of thing. And, and and then you just need to have a forum to say, well, this is what it means. And uh, it means that you know somebody that uh, works in an administrative capacity at a firm can share in the value that's being created and over 20 years might uh, have built a million dollars worth of equity and, and kind of just sort of in a very visual way use examples of people who actually uh, have created wealth in this manner, um, and particularly from the, the blue-collar side, uh, as an example to kind of break through and show that this can work. As uh, a creative entrepreneur developing a worker-owned co-op, um, bring on the pink tape is what I have to say about that. Um, on a previous show, we spoke with members of Black Lives Matter and discussed with how uh, with them how the platform has made a real commitment to worker-owned uh, businesses and cooperatives. As governor, how do you see your relationship with social movements in general? What uh, avenues are you hoping to create to allow for uh, similar mes messages to emerge? Well, another so so you know another area that I've I've been supportive of is is crowdfunding, uh, and and that can take the form of. Uh, sort of customer ownership as well. But the reason I bring that up is I believe that it's a way to preserve historic minority-owned businesses and maintain the character of uh, transitional communities, which is one of the issues that Black Lives Matter would, would, would bring up with you here. It's one of the issues we see with the Highway 70 overpass. Um, and again, I think part of the answer is both customer ownership, crowdfunding, employee ownership. How do we preserve the character of historically ethnic communities? Um, when uh, you know when they're changing and and when there's a dearth of traditional access to capital, and I absolutely think crowdfunding, customer ownership, and participation is a big part of that model. So I would hope that some of these social movements that are seeking um, uh, similar goals might be able to employ some of these methods uh, in meeting those goals. How do you see these kinds of strategies spreading out across the state? You know, we have a, a problem here in Colorado where the prosperity is in many ways being very concentrated uh, in, in urban areas. How do you see uh, worker ownership, which has often been a, a kind of urban phenomenon, uh, uh, impacting rural communities? Uh, really, the benefits are everywhere. And, and you know, I, I hope you've talked to or will talk to Rocky Mountain Farmers Union on this show. Um, they would be happy to talk about the virtues of uh, employee ownership in agricultural co-ops that, frankly, allow our small farmers to compete in this day of uh, industrial agriculture. Um, without our agricultural co-ops, uh, it would be very hard um, for some of our uh, small and family farmers to uh, be able to compete. So it really goes across every sector of the economy. And as I mentioned, takes different forms, right? I mean, you really have to look at the whole continuum, uh, you know, from co-ops and ESOPs to uh, outright equity grants to stock options to customer ownership to formalized profit sharing. There's a wide variety uh, of mechanisms, but they all uh, can lead to uh, a, a, an economy that works for everybody, longer, uh, better, long-term long productivity growth, and uh, aligning the incentives of workers with executives and investors. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Rocky Mountain Farmers Union. You know, we've been working with them uh, on a number of things, including building our directory on our website of, of Colorado co-ops. And and it's been really exciting to see that grow. Uh, you know, with their help, we've reached almost 400 uh, entries. And that's really a demonstration of how 
uh, how, what we have to work with and build on, especially if we recognize the broader range of cooperative enterprises, including agricultural, electric utility co-ops, uh, uh, food co-ops, uh, uh, there's a, such a broad range. How do you see uh, opportunities for, uh, for citizens, whether or not they're supporting your campaign, to help push these issues forward on a grassroots level? Certainly educating policymakers, elected officials, state legislators, federal representatives uh, about the importance of these issues. I'd say we still sort of suffer from a lack of awareness. Um, it may very well be that elected officials even know these companies, and or but they don't necessarily understand the mechanisms behind the ownership models, and they don't understand the public policy levers that would facilitate uh, the further growth of employee ownership across the economy. Fantastic. Uh, in that same vein, are there opportunities that you think are uh, connected with this conversation that would be of value to mayors, city officials, people on boards? I've noticed uh, at, in attending events with the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, um, it's generally a similar crowd of people who are entrepreneurial and hoping to develop businesses. I see less on the policy side. Yeah, I think incorporating policymakers is terrific. The other thing we need to do a better job incorporating are the um, the class of uh, professionals that provide professional services to companies, namely uh, lawyers and accountants, right? So um, a lot of people wanting to form a firm will contact their local lawyer, and their local lawyer will know, oh, uh, it you do it as a Delaware C-Corp, um, or maybe it's an S-Corp, but they are not fully versed on the benefits of these models. So I think professional training uh, for attorneys uh, and for accountants uh, would allow them to present more options to entrepreneurs. The kind of capital formation innovation is not as likely to come from an entrepreneur because they just want to do their business. They have a passion for, you know, could be peanut butter or could be whatever it is that they make. Um, they're generally not thinking very abstractly about, you know, capital formation. I certainly wasn't when I started my companies. Um, we, frankly, you know, implemented universal stock options, not out of some noble idea, but just because that's what you do in tech. And that's what people expect. And that's what the attorneys set up for you, an employee stock option model. So, you know, I think that we need to really get to those who present that menu of options to employees. You need to have accountants and attorneys who say, these are five ways to do it. There's great advantages to doing this employee ownership model and that. Uh, it's just as easy to implement, perhaps with some free technical assistance from the Employee Ownership Center. Uh, and I think that would help make it a lot more prevalent. Thank you so much, uh, Congressman Polis, for joining us. Welcome back to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy. I'm Nathan Schneider, and I'm joined by Amy Lynn Herman. Uh, we're here with you on the fourth Thursday of every month to learn about economic democracy and cooperative business. Uh, to wrap up our show, we're going to hear from Halisi Vinson, who's executive director of the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. She's been on the show before, but we'd love to hear from her a bit of an update on, on the state of employee ownership here in Colorado uh, that uh, uh, Congressman Polis is so interested in, in, uh, in improving. So, Halisi, welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. Can you tell us a bit about what's on your plate right now? What are you seeing around you in, uh, uh, as far as employee ownership in Colorado goes? So we've got some important things and exciting things that are happening um, now that the legislation has passed, and that was um, HB 1214. That was signed by the governor in late May, um, and it's encouraging employee ownership of existing small businesses. And so since then, I guess beginning in June, um, the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center and other stakeholders have been meeting with the state's Office of Economic Development and International Trade to roll out um, the program that is stipulated in the legislation. And so what is exciting is that we are gearing up to um, do some training at all 14 of the small business development centers around the state. And so no matter where you are, you will have access now to some pretty in-depth um, information regarding how to convert your business to employee-owned. You know, obviously, you know, we believe in broad-based ownership as um, a tool for access to the economic system that has been exclusive, but we're going to change that, right? 
Fantastic. And, and how can people find those centers? How can people access their, their uh, uh, business development centers around them? Yeah, so the small business development centers are uh, kind of a, a joint venture between the Small Business Administration and then um, here in Colorado, and I'm assuming it works that way in other states as well, but uh, so a partnership between the Office of Economic Development and the Small Business uh, Administration. And so if they just Google Small Business Development Centers, SBDC, um, they will find the nearest one. In our previous segment, uh, Congressman Polis mentioned uh, some new strategies for growth around worker cooperatives and employee ownership, things like perhaps a state branding campaign or uh, developing incentives uh, in creating a, an easier pipeline for state contracts with employee-owned businesses. Uh, what are some other strategies for growth that you've been contemplating or that have been uh, in conversations you know, Amy, I think the biggest thing is awareness, and it is amazing to me. Like, I was looking at some of the comments that um, came out um, when we got the legislation passed. You know, there were articles in the newspapers and, 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 um, and then different articles throughout the year. And I hear and, and read the weirdest things. Like, one citizen commented, employee ownership, I thought slavery was dead. So obviously, you know, the, the biggest thing that we I may have to sit with that phone for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not sure how they connected those dots, but okay. You know, which what we're advocating for is, is really the opposite, right? I mean, we're talking about employees owning their jobs um, and, and, and owning a piece of the revenue that they help generate through their, through their labor, through their hard work. And so I think um, the biggest thing that we can do right now is really um, spread the word and with true information about what employee ownership is and and also, you know, not trying to make it seem like this is a panacea, like this is the end-all to be-all and this is all that needs to be done. I think this is just one piece of, of the big puzzle, but I think it's an important piece. So to me, it's, a, it's about awareness and, you know, that's what the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center is, is you know, concentrating on. Um, is just making people aware of what it is, you know, and, and how to get it done. Tell us a little bit about your experience working with legislators leading up to the to the bill. Uh, you know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier, too, about the the communications challenges, and, and especially when people don't have a lot of understanding of these kinds of models, uh, it can be hard to persuade them that this is uh, uh, something to support. What did you uh, find worked in communicating with policymakers about the need to step up uh, their support for employee ownership. Um, well, you know, this is this is what's frustrating, Nathan. And I think you know anyone who's listening really needs to make sure that they're paying attention what of you know what's going on on the local level and to really pay attention to what they're. A specific representative and state senator is doing, as well as city council and everything else, because um, employee ownership is in the Republican Party platform, um, the latest national Republican Party platform. It is not in the Democratic Party platform. And so um, when I looked around at what other states were doing and some municipalities, um, when we crafted this legislation, it was based upon what had been done before and what made sense for Colorado. So we crafted this legislation to really um, be something that we thought both, um, you know, parties could get behind. And and yet, it is my feeling, and this is does not is not based upon anything that anyone has told me that because it was introduced by a Democrat, Republicans voted no. In in other states, it has this almost identical legislation has been introduced by Republicans and Democrats voted no. This has got to stop. So the fact that, you know, we are not governing, that everything is, is political uh, points, you know, and we are the citizens are responsible for making sure that they, that they stop the nonsense. And so, you know, it was really important to make sure that legislators understood the value that this could add to communities. It was really important to emphasize growing strong local economies that were not based upon national or global corporations, um, especially in areas that have been neglected or rural areas, um, that we keep those businesses open. It was really important for folks to know that 
um, with baby boomers retiring. Um, and statistics show that 51% of those businesses will just close simply because of retirement, not because of, of any other reason that we could not afford over the next 11 years um, to have 51% of $24 billion worth of payroll disappear in a short amount of time. And so um, some, some smart-minded and, and critical thinkers in the legislature listened. They, they you know, understood, you know, what the concerns were and, and what the positive outcomes could be, and they voted yes. So I was really happy about that. Um, but you've got to speak to folks in, in their language. And so when you talk, you know, dollars and cents, when you, when you talk about, you know, um, the fact that, you know, this is not necessarily costing the state any money, um, but, is a, it, but could represent a positive outcome, that we were creating more capitalists, some folks heard it and said, yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly depends on the meaning of the word capitalist, and, uh, uh, and that rings differently to different ears. And, uh, and, and I th think that point is so haunting that you make there that, that, um, uh, that, that issues, uh, uh, that, that politicians on both sides of the aisle are talking about some similar things, but when they hear it from the other side, they, uh, uh, they can't hear it. And uh, mm -hmm. this is one of those um, traditions, this, these models of shared ownership that, that really transcend the kinds of political lines that we've concocted for ourselves right now, uh, yet we uh, have trouble hearing it. We have trouble seeing uh, the breadth and the appeal uh, that it could have. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and it is up to us to make sure that they don't get away with it, both sides, that they govern and not just to get in there to, I don't know, what the heck. <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously it's a lot better on the local level than, it, than you know, what's happening nationally, but, um, but any vote that is votes um, purely for politics is the wrong vote, and they should be held accountable. Congressman Polis also spoke about the challenges facing uh, growth in this sector related to uh, the need for the education of lawyers, the education of CPAs and accounting. Uh, would you mind speaking about what the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center has been doing to uh, provide resources uh, for that sector? Right. There are not a lot of um, business advisors, service providers um, in the metro area that have this as a specialty. I mean, very, very few. And we, you know, the three of us probably know all of them <laughs> collectively, right? Um, and so there's, there's two things that we're doing. Um, I've spoken to a lot of service providers that don't want to become experts, but they want to know enough so that they can um, suggest this if it makes sense for their clients. So we have workshops that we do specifically for business advisors to give them a broad overview of what employee ownership is and then the basic steps that need to be taken to do conversion. Um, the other thing that we're working on is getting um, – the Colorado Bar or, or National Bar, I, I'm still figuring that out in the AICPA, um, to give us um, the go-ahead to be able to offer this as continued education credit um, for attorneys and for CPAs. So when we get that done, and, and that's, you know, one of my goals over the next um, nine months, then that will open the door even wider. So um, we've got, you know, we've got some great folks out there that have been lecturing on this in those um, in those entities for a while but it's only one or two people so we're gonna we're gonna increase that off off the air Nathan was speaking with uh, Congressman Polis about some inroads with universities I'm wondering if you could imagine with me uh, what the role of a university could be in uh, educating the next wave of uh, workers in the state of Colorado to be attuned to these kinds of opportunities and alternative financing models and structure for uh, cooperative development. Yeah, you know, I, I went to business school and yeah, it was quite a while ago, but this subject matter never came up. And, and um, it wasn't even hinted to, uh, which is which is quite disappointing because I thought I went to a pretty good um, B school but my you know what I see is that this is actually integrated into the core curriculum 
um, of business schools. And so when we talk about business models or we talk about strategy or we talk or, or in a finance class that this should be brought up and it should be integrated the same way any other um, business model is integrated. And so like in business school, I remember them talking about the difference between um, a family-run business as opposed to a business run by, you know, three partners or four partners, right? Um, on the outside, that might look the same, but there are dynamics there that, that change, you know, the obviously the culture. Well, there are dynamics that change when you have 50 owners or you have 25 owners of a company that own, all own, you know, a piece of the pie. And so when we're, when we're you know, whether it's finance, whether it's strategy, whether it's operations, um, or basic um, business structures, this should be integrated. And so we also have been working with trying to get this into the curriculum of all the universities um, here in the area. Thank you for your work on that. I know that I would have benefited uh, from that sort of training in school. Uh, in closing, I'm hoping uh, to hear what are some of the upcoming events at the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center. Uh, it's uh, a fantastic group of people that attend, and the depth of conversations are very enriching. And I also just want to hear if there are other opportunities in a similar vein that are on your radar. Right. Well, we give um, um, workshops for free every other month at the Commons on Champa. And so um, the next one, I believe, is in September. And, um, and also, we're going to start doing webinars. So check our website, rmeoc.org. That's Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center, and that's our initials.org. Um, so we've got webinars coming up. We've got breakfast workshops coming up. And then for members, of course, we always have social events. And so a shout-out to Walk to Connect that did our last social event. We took a took a great walk um, to Confluence Park and learned how to do walking meetings. So we also talk about how to, you know, uh, self-care and how to run your business in a way that, you know, you're really thinking about that triple bottom line. Um, not just the conversion and not just pure employee ownership. There's so much more to it than that. So, well, I was, um, I was sorry. I was sorry to miss that walk to connect, uh, gathering that's walk to yeah. connect the number two. And that's a, a worker co-op in Colorado, uh, devoted to, uh, walking tours and, uh, the business of walking and seeing the world, uh, uh as, a, uh, the way it looks, uh, from, from getting around on foot. That's a, a really wonderful business that, uh, 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 some of the members came to our first meeting, actually, of the Co-op Study Circle. So oh, wonderful. We're wonderful. really glad to see them develop and, and collaborating with you all. Absolutely, absolutely. And so any business that, that needs advice, any business that just wants to explore, um, if you're not in Denver, you know, we offer the opportunity. We will come to you. We will come talk to your employees and just explain what this thing is. Um, you know, as a nonprofit, our, our goal is, is to educate. Um, that's our primary goal. So, you know, we are open to going anywhere in the state and, um, and educating folks. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk with us and for the work that you're doing, Halisi. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to the Co-op Power Hour on KGNU's It's the Economy, a production of the Colorado Co-op Study Circle. You can catch us on the fourth Thursday of every month. I'm Nathan Schneider, and I'm joined by Amy Lynn Herman. We'd like to thank our guests this evening, Halisi Vinson from the Rocky Mountain Employee Ownership Center and Congressman Jared Polis. You can find out more about them and our work at uh, coloradocoops.info. Thank you so much for tuning in. We look forward to uh, seeing you again next month. So I went to the bank to see what they could do. They said, so